How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Catapulting Commissions family, welcome back. Incredibly excited to have you this Wednesday. Do you have what it takes to scale a tech startup? You initially start with an idea on how to solve a problem, how to build a product, and more importantly, how to impact your customers and change your industry. Startup coach and speaker Scott Sambucci has led three Silicon Valley startups, each to their first millions in revenue. Today, Sambucci works with startups across the world, helping them ramp up and scale their revenue, repeatable sales process, and sales team. Now, who exactly is Scott Sambucci? Besides being a coach and speaker, he's a podcaster and an international best-selling author. He spent 25 years building sales processes and creating technology products and also an executive at two publicly traded companies. Sambucci has an MA in economics from the University of San Francisco and an MBA in finance from Duke University. He is the chief sales geek at Sales Qualia. Sambucci works with SaaS startups and tech companies all over the globe across several different industries. Today, we're going to spend some time to discuss his most recent international best-selling book, Stop Hustling, Start Scaling, Ramp Up Your B2B Startup, Repeatable Revenue with the Q Framework. And today on the Catapulting Commission Show, we have Scott Sambucci. Scott, welcome to the show. Dude, Anthony, I'm going to have to bring you around with me. You know, I'm going to walk, in, walk into my kitchen for dinner. Like, hey, tell my son, guess who's here? I love that, man. Thanks for that intro. Absolutely. You know, so there's, I get into podcasts and I'm like, man, I just, I can see how Bruce Buffer and Mike Buffer and these guys, it's just, it sounds fun. <laughs> you get engaged, you know, you start yeah. throwing the, throwing my finger at people like a UFC fight. So I appreciate that. Scott, so let's talk about this. You have a new book, Stop Hustling, Start Scaling. You talk about a Q framework. Now, when I hear the phrase startup or SaaS startup companies, you know, it, yeah. You go to the simplest person that's that's listening to the show. You're like, oh, I see Shark Tank. People are starting up all the time. When you're in the startup phrase, how and where should startup companies find their first customers? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the word startup has really gotten to be, um, in some sense, overused. It's kind of a vague term nowadays. It's almost like biology. What does biology mean? Right? It means lots of different things. Lots of different things. And so, when we think about startups, what we're thinking about is those companies that you know somebody who has a product, they started to sell it, and they're trying to figure out how do they get the first revenue, the first customers, going from that stage through to the point where they are now repeatedly getting customers and then doing that at scale. So getting from the first dollars to the first million and then 10, 10 beyond that. And um, the biggest challenge is you, and like they alluded to your question, Anthony, People say, well, where do I get my first customers? And what we usually tell people, like the first thing you should do is go look at the industries where you've worked. Like chances are your your product, your your company uh, was born out of your expertise in another in a in a specific product vertical. So you found a problem that nobody else is addressing, or all of the products in that vertical just aren't satisfying the current needs of the market. And so the simplest place to go is your own network, your own contacts, companies you've worked with in the past at previous employers, and then start there in a really really narrow focused way. I like how you say that, Scott. That that start within your 
for lack of better words, you start within your own circle of influence, right? I mean, you go back all the way to, you know, traditional sales. If I'm selling a product, we start where we're comfortable. And so your recommendation in that startup, you start within your network, you identify a problem, you you find your first customers, typically by, you know, someone you know, your network knows. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and sometimes it's just an introduction of an introduction. I, I, always, I always think about just in my own sales career. Like I think about some of my own biggest sales deals of my own that I've converted over the years. And if I trace back that customer and go backwards. Well, where did I learn about that customer? And then where did I meet that person? And then I trace back, well, where did I meet that person? And then where did I meet that person? I've gotten as far as seven or eight or even nine steps deep where I met one person at a conference who introduced me to somebody else who told me I should go to some other event where I ran enough, where I ran a, a speaker on stage. And because I was a speaker on stage, I met this person. And you sort of like follow the trail and you realize like a lot of those best customers can still come from network and especially early on because you don't really know what your message is as you're getting out there. You've got to find people who are willing to give you some time and trust you that, hey, you're, you know, this person introduced me to you. I'm going to give you 15 minutes to help you to give you that time to help me understand what you do and how you might be able to help me. So you mentioned one thing there as you're discussing, right? I hear clarity, right? I have to be able to deliver this clear message into that revenue stage, into scaling stage. In scaling and taking a startup to a massive growth, how much time is spent revisiting that clarity plan? Is is the clarity plan on my sales process, hey, we plan this out before we hit revenue, here's what our process is going to be, or is it something you're pivoting along the way? Because typically, you know, you look at some of these Fortune 500, these large macro companies, here's our sales process, you know, it's the paychecks way, it's this way, it's what we do, but... In this instance, you're hey man, we're 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 you know we're wearing multiple hats. So how often is that process ingrained and decided beforehand, or how often is it pivot adjust and we move accordingly? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. It's an important one to think about because I think too often, you know, as a founder, you get you get thinking about the big picture, like hey, we want to grow to ten million dollars in the next three to five years, and you could be sitting at your first hundred thousand dollars of revenue. You're doing a hundred k, and you're thinking about ten million. Well, the most important fact to keep in mind is that you're going to you're going to have to iterate your sales process. So we think of it as, as iteration, just like you would iterate on a product and say, okay, we're going to launch a product, release some features, and then based on the feedback we're getting, we're going to adjust for the next product sprint. And so you're constantly iterating. And it needs to be the same way in a sales process. And the the, the easiest way to think about when to be iterating is if you if you think about what's called the rule of three and ten. The rule of three and ten. So, I first heard, learned this from Phil Libin, who he's the founder of a company called Evernote. A lot of people, millions of people, are using Evernote every single day. And the rule of three and ten works like this: when your company grows by multiples of three and ten, everything you're doing will break. Meaning that when you go from 100k to 300k, the way that you've gotten those customers to triple your sales from 100 to 300 is chances are you're not going to have enough network to get from 300 to a million. And once you get to, then you have to come up with a new sales process. Once you get to a million dollars in revenue, chances are the way that you are developing your leads and closing your deals might break again. And so from one to three, you're going to have to iterate. And so I think if you just keep that in mind, and as a startup, one of the hardest parts is think about how do I keep the journey in a structured way and just sort of like segmented, like any long journey, maybe just say, whatever, wherever we are now, we're going to get to the next three or 10. And then just know that 
whatever processes we build to get from three, from say 300 to a million or a million to three, just know once we get to that next, that next checkpoint in our journey, chances are we're going to have to make some, some pretty significant adjustments. You know, that, that rule of three and 10, and, and I, I would say I learned that rule recently. It wasn't one that I've always realized or known, but as I've created my own personal brand and the Catapult Commission Brand and Growing, now it sits on my mind because you see those metrics. So to hear you discuss that at a macro level is, is, is really, really profound because it's what we do as an organization, as sales leaders, sales executives, sales developers, it's the process is the same, right? We, we want people to say yes to our product or service. We go through the psychology of sales. We develop a process. We get someone to say yes. And acknowledging that what I did from, you know, from 100 to 300 or to get to 100, to get to 300, to get to a million, I'm going to have to be making those pivots and adjustments along the way. I, I like that. In your book, you discuss the Q framework. So, you talk this Q framework, and it's going to be able to establish a sales process for lead generation, pipeline management, et cetera. What exactly is the Q framework, and how does that apply specifically to startups? Yeah, the, so the idea of the Q stands for questions, stands for questions. So um, in the 25 years I've done sales, and especially around three, working with three startups to get those that first version of their sales process working, what I found is that we're what we're really doing is going out and discovering our sales process, right? I'm not a believer in going to some bookshelf and saying, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna adopt this or that approach. What we have to do is actually build our own sales process. But to do that, we have to really understand our customers. And number one, like clarity on the market. Number two, we need to have a sense of control and how we're gonna make sure we know what's happening next in the sales process. And then we have to give our customers confidence to know that we can deliver for them. And, and we should then have the confidence to charge the price we want to charge. So it comes down to clarity, control, and confidence. So to do that, you need to answer these seven questions. And if you can answer these seven questions, that will help you identify what problem. You know, for example, the first, the first question is, what problem are you solving? Sounds simple. Sounds easy. But too often, you, know, you throw up a web page, you have your product launched. And what, what do you see on most websites? request a demo. So we're like, great, somebody requests a demo. I can't wait to get somebody on the call, get on Zoom, show them the product. And from that very first conversation, we've shown them the product, we've given them the demo, but we've never even really asked, hey, what brought you to the site in the first place? What, prob- what business problem or challenge are you trying to solve for? And so until we even know that, there's no sale. No, no problem equals no sale. And because you have the new thing, the new product, everybody's going to want to see it. It's you know, there's no shortage of interesting conversations. And so until you're really, really clear about the problem you're solving for that customer, that prospect in front of you, you're not going to be able to move any, move forward with any kind of sale. So that's why we use that as the very first question, the foundation of that seven questions. Thank you very much. You, you know, the, the problem you solve, and I like how you said it, no problem, no sale. I can't tell you how many times I've come across a young sales professional. And I say young, and I'm not talking in age. I'm talking about in tenure, right? You can can be a 40-year-old young sales professional if sales is something new to you. And when I ask that question, what exactly do you do? Or what do you sell? If you can't answer me in one sentence, two max, you've gone too far. And usually that comes with that clarity you talk about in that Q framework, what problem you solve. And I got, and I got to be honest with you, Scott, I'm going to steal that one with, with my team and my clients. No problem, no sale. If you can't solve yeah. the, that's, that's 
So simple, but yet so profound. So you run through these seven questions. So we identify, we get clarity. What's the next question? So the next two questions are related. um, And and that's just about focus. And so the, the next two questions are which segment and who are the buyers? So which segment, meaning, you know, again, as a startup, there's probably no shortage of opportunity. Um, most startups go into any new venture thinking like, wow, I can make a, a billion dollar impact in this industry, right? There's so much, to- I mean, even we, we even talk about what's called TAM, total addressable market. Investors are asking you all the time, what's your TAM? What's your TAM? And so we get this big picture of a billion dollar market or more. But what, what we forget is that all of the prospects that we're speaking to don't care about the billion dollar market, but they care about it themselves. And so if you're not targeting and if instead you're trying to sell to the whole market, then every time you're speaking to a single prospect, your message is going to get is going to get diluted. So when you're first starting out, especially the most important thing you do is focus and get so narrow on a niche that every time you are speaking to someone in that segment or vertical or niche, whatever you want to call it, you can talk to them about their problem in a way that positions you as the expert. I like that. I like that a lot. Your segment and your buyers, catapulting commissions family. What Scott's describing in the startup truly can revamp and change your sales process. Whether you're a startup, a sales entrepreneur, work for one of the Fortune 500 big guys, that who are your buyers, segmenting, getting clarity, that process is one of those, is one of the fundamentals. I'm really glad Scott's with us today because we always talk about how to catapult commissions and that's that's one of the key things. You can definitely get that information to stop hustling and start scaling. At the end, we're going to pick Scott's brain and get you a link. So be sure to listen to the end so you can get a full copy of that book for free. Now, as we go, and we, we talked about this process, Scott. So there, we, we spent a little time talking process. But let's talk about how we scale this. Now, mm-hmm. what is the hurdle, like the big hurdle, the challenge that companies have, especially startup companies, on scaling, right? We talk about scaling like, you know, like it's easy, you know, I'm just going to scale here. You, you can go any website. I mean, if you just Google scale my company, you're going to have a million people say, here's how you do it. When we're scaling startup companies that are in the software industry, specifically in that tech space, what are some of the mistakes people made and what does that path to scaling look like? Yeah, it's good, good question here. So the, the mistake most, most companies make is they try to scale without having a core system first. So what I mean by that, if you think about like any production line, you know, take a Tesla factory, right? If you say, well, we're going to go produce five Tesla factories, we're going to scale operations. Well, before they before they build factory two or three or four or five, what they do is they go, well, how do we make sure number one is working really, really well? Because if we go build four more factories, but they're not exactly the same, then you're going to get different outputs. And so this idea of like trying to grow and scale, oftentimes like a founder, for example, will say, well, I'm going to hire some salespeople to help me figure out what my system should be. Or I'm going to hire a VP of sales and that VP of sales is going to come in and tell me how to sell my product. And the truth is, as a founder of the company, you've got to be, you have to create that first version of your sales process so that when you hire salespeople, when you hire a VP of sales, they can run that system for you and then make it better and optimize it over time. So the mistake is number one, not having a process before hiring, and then number two, hiring, expecting that person to actually build it for you. Now, I, I could definitely see you know you're scaling before the process is in place and hiring before that process is in place. In your 
business and your expertise, where does that sales process development come from? Because we have, we, 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 we've had guests in previous episodes who've been experts in different sales process, right? And I can name the different modalities. And I've, there's also experts who develop their own. In, in the startup space, is it more efficient to take a quote unquote tested and trialed sales process, sales method out there, or bring in an expert, do some research, create one that's specific to your niche? Is there value doing either one? What do you recommend? Yeah, so I, I think of it as um, kind of like standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, and then sort of using that analogy. So, yeah, I mean, you don't want to start from zero, but that's, I mean, that's why I wrote the book. And we've developed a Q framework is by following those seven questions, it is a literally a framework on which you're building your sales process. So that idea of, well, what problem are you solving is going to be unique to you and your customer? What segment, which segment are you focusing on? That's going to be unique to you and your, uh, your company. The third question, who are your buyers? Meaning like who are the individuals, the stakeholders, the decision makers that you know will need to get involved in order for a sale to uh, to get executed. That's going to be custom to you. So you, you've got this core framework, but on top of it, you're building what is your version of your sales process. So what I would say is I'm, I'm always really hesitant when, when a, a startup founder says, hey, well, I'm going to use the challenger model or I'm going to use Sandler. I think there is a time and a place to adopt some of that stuff and adapt it to your business. But if you're just taking something strictly off the shelf, then it's not going to work for your company. It won't work for you the way you think it's going to work. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I, uh, I I hear that, right? The Challenger, Sandler, Spin, all these different modalities. And they're great. And there's always a time and a place where it's appropriate. But you, the analogy I use with, with some of the clients I work with is, you know, if you're just saying, hey, here's going to solve this problem by because somebody wrote this book or someone came up with this modality. I mean, that's, that's really the equivalent to saying, hey, you want to manage your financial records to just open a TD Ameritrade account? pick one, press start, go, because it's green today. Like you're just, you're, you haven't created that framework. You haven't created that roadmap specific to your company. So I like that. I like hearing you say that and, and, and standing on the top of the giants. And uh, the startups, in my opinion, are slowly starting to become the giants. The, the people who are, are trending in a different direction are slowly starting to become um, the giants. So do you, do you mind if I add, add on that? For yeah, a second, please, Anthony? please do. So, this And this is also relates to why hiring a salesperson or a VP of sales too soon is also a mistake. Because when you think about what oftentimes happens, like just imagine a, a startup founder, especially of a tech company. Typically, that person is, a, is an engineer, somebody with a technical background, maybe someone from product. They've never done sales, right? So sales is already feeling like kind of scary and, you know, this black box thing where, only, you know, only singers sing and only salespeople sell, right? Um, and so it feels scary. And so the, and you know, you need to grow. So a lot of times the, the mistake, they'll go, well, I'm going to hire somebody who has sold at Salesforce for 20 years and they have a big Rolodex. So I'm going to hire somebody from within the industry who sold, at least say I'm selling to the healthcare sector. I'm going to find someone who sold to hospitals for the last 20 years. I'm going to take advantage of the Rolodex and they're going to tell me what the process should be. Well, the way that Salesforce sells their product or the way that Another company selling to the hospital system, you are very large companies with lots of process that's been developed over decades in some cases. And so if you take that person and put them into a startup and say, well, we just want to do what Salesforce does, it doesn't match. It's not where you are. And so because you have to iterate so quickly, 
as a startup, because you're growing so fast, then, you know, just uh, hey, taking that person to a, to install what was using, what they were using at some big company, it's just not going to work. Yeah. I, I think it's almost, you know, I picture as you're saying that trying to put a Lego piece into the wrong set of Legos, just because it came from a, yeah. a big set of Legos that look great. It's definitely not going to match that, that startup modality. Um, and you're absolutely right. I do think people view that as an easy way out. I know for, I have been recruited uh, for various different opportunities based on my sales background or my expertise in my, in my sales. Hey, you can come do this here. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, there's, there's a lot that comes with it. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. So the Catapulting Commissions audience are sales professionals, sales leaders, executives, people who hire, and sales entrepreneurs. But I have received DMs and messages from people who look to crack into that startup world, who want to get into the, you know, high risk, high reward for, you know, for, for the startup, right? The truth is not every startup succeeds, but the ones that do, do well. And there's people who are looking at that. So you mentioned sometimes we're, we're hiring salespeople too soon. And typically, and I do agree, some of the founders of startups that I've come across, incredibly talented, incredibly smart people, but sales is, is, is not their second language. It's not natural to them. It, it's very much similar to, you know, I use, I use the analogy of, of, of medical professionals. Spent all this time in medical school. They're a great doctor, a great physician, a great surgeon. Couldn't sell or market themselves for the life of them. So, uh, and I say that because a lot of those guys, or a lot of those guys and gals, are my friends. But when someone's trying to break into that sales space as a startup, wants to be a sales executive, how do they make themselves attractable to these founders? How do they find them? How do they get in front of somebody? Because when I hear scaling, there's always somebody at the top leading that way, and every sales leader, every sales professional says, "I can be that guy." How do they get in front of that startup? How do they how do they track that down? Well, you, I mean, usually getting in front of the startup isn't isn't that difficult. I mean, you can do some research on places like AngelList or Crunchbase or some of these other websites where there's lots of data and information about startups. Um, and you can search down into, let's say, you're you have experience selling into healthcare systems, and you want to just now go from working from big company to a small company in healthcare. You can find those companies pretty quickly. Um, what I usually suggest both to the people on the the selling side as well as the founders is before you even really hire somebody, let's do some project-based work first. And like as part of, we have a sales hiring system that we help our our founders in our coaching program to implement. And one of the assessment pieces is doing a paid project because you need to see if that person, they might interview great. They might seem like the perfect fit. They've got 20 years experience and a big Rolodex in your industry. But how do they really do when it comes to communicating with your target market? How do they really do in a product demo? Like, how do they do they do demos in a new way? Can they demo a product that's not done? 
<laughs> right? You've got like version 1.0 and they don't have all the features. Can they handle that objection? Because if you're selling at Salesforce or you're selling other some other big software, you you probably have thousands of integrations and lots of features and you've got lots of help from sales engineers and account managers and everyone else that's there as a team doing the demo. Well, what if you're isolated in this environment where you've got to do the demo, you're by yourself and the product's not done and people start firing objections at you five minutes into the demo? Can they handle that? So the benefit of project-based work for both sides is to see if this is really a fit, right? So if I'm a software founder and I'm going to hire some salesperson who looks good on paper, they've been in an industry for 20 years, they have the big Rolodex, they're saying all the right things like, oh, I really, I'm done working for big companies. I want to come work at the startup. Like I want this fun, new dynamic environment. Sounds good. And on the other side, like the, the salesperson might be looking at the startup going like, wow, this sounds really exciting. It sounds like a lot of fun, right? Um, but is it really a good fit? So what happens when you have a project that you're paying for and you say, look, we're going to run, we're going to have you do a demo. You know, we're going to have you come in and do a half a day demo or a, a half a day prospect prospecting project of some kind. Let's see how they really do when the product isn't working correctly, when the customer is asking questions about integrations that don't exist, when you click a button on the demo and it doesn't work because that happens and I've been there. And it's like, you know, oh, look over here. And then on the background, you're like texting engineering, like, hey, man, can you fix this thing? I'm in the middle of a demo. I mean, I've done that. I've literally done that. And um, it can be really challenging for both sides to know if, in fact, it is a good fit. So let's get that environment created and see if that person that has 20 years experience that says they want to do the sexy fun thing, are they really up for that? Because there's a lot of stuff about working at startups that's it's not... Most of it is not fun and sexy. Most of it is just sitting around trying to figure out how to do solve problems every day. You know, that project-based work you, you discuss here, I think there's so much value in that, right? And, and I think about my audience right now who's trying to break in anywhere. I know for me, when people have reached out to me to get hired by me or do something for me, um, you know, if I have an opening grade, or depending on where I'm at, right? But if you came and say, hey, man, I've noticed this problem. I've solved it. I want to get started on this project. It that barrier to entry, you know, the, the red flags of oh, you're it's a permanent marriage. Like oh, I I like that. It does give you like a trial and error test process, and absolutely correct. People interview very well, but don't handle the adversity, the ups and downs, the peaks and valleys that come with sales. Nonetheless, with software and 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 startup, there is. I mean, they're the just two hand in hand. Software and startup to me sounds like man, there's an up and. I mean, you can have multiple ups and downs before eight thirty in the morning, and it's just. <laughs> You're just getting your day going. Dude, I, um, one of the stories, and I think I may have mentioned this in the book, um, we, one of our very first customers at when I was, my last startup was called Blend. Um, and we sold software to the lending industry, mortgage, mortgage companies. And I remember we were going live on a pilot project that we had spent about six weeks, like mapping out this workflow software, had every little iteration tested. We tried, we, we like, we had it nailed, right? We're like three days before launch and we realize everybody on this in this calling center that's going to use their software they're using internet explorer version 9 which this is in 2014 it already had been unsupported for five years wow right so we're like oh we'll just have them download chrome right guess what the IP, it people are like no our version of our software is ie9 so our engineers literally had to go back and rewrite the code three days before we're about to launch so that it would work on IE9. 
right? Now you can imagine in that sales situation, we're like spend weeks getting this ready and testing it. We're thinking it's going to be ready to go. One little simple thing like, oh, we'll just get them to download a new browser. No, there's a reason they're using IE9. So that's part one. Part two is now we go live and it's a call center with two shifts. One shift runs from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. The other shift runs from 12 to 7. Because they have you know, like 60 people in the, in the pen doing the call center stuff middle of the day. And I'm in, on site in a cubicle. Next to me is a guy named Devin, who's an engineer. And we go live at seven o'clock in the morning. Like we're there, we're ready, ready to go. We go live. And you know when we hit the first bug? Seven o'clock. Like we <laughs> literally go live. The first phone call rings because it's a call center. Right? Phones start ringing. <laughs> All of a sudden I hear, blend's not working. I got to walk over there, take a picture with my phone, get them to underst- understand what's going on. I take, I text that picture to Devin who looks at the picture and then immediately starts rewriting code like at seven o'clock in the morning. That was the first bug. Second bug, 701. We had another bug. It's like seven. We ended up finding and fixing 24 bugs the very first day after launching this pilot following six weeks of, of what we thought was spectacular preparation. Like now you're working, you're selling a product for IBM, Salesforce, any other name, big company. Okay. Yeah. There's some bugs but not like that. Right. And you got to sit there like and keep your cool. And at the end of the day, the best part about the story was at the end of the day, the VP of the division called us in and he was already kind of like in between whether he was like all for this pilot or not, but his senior said, look, we should do this. Let's give him a try. He calls me in and he goes, uh, so I heard we had some, some trouble today. And I'm like, well, you know, these things happen. And, and before I could even get the rest of the sentence out, I said, I can't tell you how impressed I am. And I was like, how do you mean? He said, when we log a bug with our other software vendors, it takes them three months to even look at it. And you guys found and fixed 24 bugs in a day. We have never, ever seen that before. Like, I cannot believe that you guys were able to do that. Because Devin's in there like sweating his brow, hacking away on code all day and pushing new code live. Nobody else has done that. And that's one of the leverage points that you have as selling as a startup. Like you can be so quick that other companies can't. But that's an environment. Like if you're move, if you say, hey, I want to go work at startups and, and work for the next Silicon Valley unicorn, dude, that's the stuff you're signing up for. And as a founder, you got to look for somebody who's willing to do that, sit in a cubicle in Dallas, Texas, and keep their head together when everything is breaking. Oh man, I, I love that story. And I love the feedback you got. I mean, because what you just said that you solved code 24, 24 bugs, day one launch pilot, you solved all of them. I think anybody listening can relate to being with a company or product or service, having that two, three weeks, sometime month long response for bugs to get. And as you were saying that, you know, I look at, I wonder, you said there were six weeks of preparation to go launch this. Yeah, it makes me think of the sales entrepreneur who wants to go out and get into sales, right? Insurance sales, real estate sales, whatever, digital sales. But they're not in their world. I'm not 100% ready. I'm gonna spend six months, nine months to get ready for my for my launch to come to market. Only to come to market, still find out there's challenges where we just talked to Scott here and Scott said, hey, we did this six weeks. We ran out. We got problems. We knocked 24 out in the morning or in that day. It's it's about movement. And that's one of those, one of the values we talk with the Catapults and Commission's family. It's about getting out there, sink or swim, 
not everything's going to be perfect before you get there. It's how you respond to the adversities that is going to determine the bottom line, going to determine the revenue, going to determine the commissions. Thank you for that. That's such a valuable story, Scott. I really appreciate that one. Yeah, well, look, I mean, perfect is the enemy of done, first of all. So you've got to get out there and do it. And secondly, with our clients in our coaching program, we have a we have a mantra that we go by, which is implementing equals learning, right? Because we'll sit down and coach with clients and they'll say, look, we're trying to build an outbound print campaign or we're trying to adjust how we're doing demos. And we can sit there and come up with all these ideas of what we think is going to work. But you got to go implement because when you implement, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to win and it's like, hey, we came up with this great strategy and it's really working, or you're going to learn. And that's all there is to it. I mean, I've been running my company for five years. I've been in sales for 25 years. Like I am literally every day learning new stuff. Like selling, I've been, I've been on, I was on a sales call last week and somebody said to me something that I've never heard before. And I'm just like, all right, just learn something new. Never thought of that before. So to think that you're ever going to be, you know, the expert or you ever think you're ever going to be done is just a fallacy. I... So appreciate you saying that, Scott. 25 years in sales, in sales, lead, in sales, five years in this company, just learning nuggets. If you've listened to any of our previous episodes, I'm a big student in sales and I'm a huge believer that we can always be learning something, right? It's not about, am I going to listen to a podcast that's going to revamp the way I approach my career? It's about what nuggets can I take and add to my tool belt. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. It's something I believe Every sales professional we've had on the Catapulted Commissions podcast, that's something that they definitely share with. Scott, as we're getting close here to time, one of the things that the we we didn't spend too much time on, but I know the audience is wanting to dig a little bit more in, stop hustling, start scaling. How does someone get a copy of the book? How can someone learn about the book? And how does someone learn more about you and your company? Yeah, thanks so much for that, Anthony. So um, the easiest thing to do, I mean, you can, of course, you can go to Amazon and buy a copy, but as I was talking with you earlier, like for me, the book, the message in the book is way more important than royalties. And so we decided a couple months ago that we we're just going to give away copies of the book, like not even like free plus shipping, um, like literally free copies of the book. So we took the entire book and we PDF the book. And so if you go over to sales qualia, so sales, com, right there on the homepage, there's a big button that says, Start reading now. Just click and you can download a full and complete copy of the book. And once you once you get a copy of the book, even better, at the end of every chapter, there's a set, a set of exercises. And there's also a link to a website where you can download worksheets that as you're working through the book and building your sales process using the Q framework, you can, you can sit down, fill out the worksheets and have the first version of your sales playbook done by the time you finish reading the book. It's not a novel where you read from cover to cover. You should look at it, work on a chapter, build that part of your playbook, and then move to the next one. So go to salesquality.com, download a free full copy of the book. Scott, thank you. Catapulting Commission's family, salesqualia.com. Get a copy of your book. Stop hustling, start scaling, ramp up your B2B startup, repeatable revenue with the Q framework. Today, we have sales coach, expert, podcaster, international best-selling author, Scott Sambushi with us. Scott, we wish you nothing but success in the future. We always want our guests on Catapulted Commissions to come back in the next year or two because we want to see what progress is made and how well you've done. Can we get you back here down the road? Anytime, man. Just give me a shout. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Catapult to Commissions family 
As always, be sure to subscribe, leave comments, shoot me DMs if you have any questions. You can find all the information about Sales Quality of Scott, his book, in the show notes. If you're watching the YouTube video, it's in the comments and sections below. If you're on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the uh, multiple podcast listening uh, platforms, just click the show notes. Scott, thanks for joining us this week. We will be in contact soon. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, Anthony. Good to talk to you. Well, that does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at Anthony P. Garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions. Thank you for your time and I look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions. <laughs>